Welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast, the appearance psychology podcast brought to you by the Centre for Appearance Research, a world-leading research centre based at the University of the West of England in Bristol, investigating everything related to the psychology of how we look. I'm Nadia. And I'm Jade. And it's January 2019. AKA peak diet culture season. Mm, Right, it's new year, new you, new body, all that kind of spiel. And we want to provide an alternative to how we view food and eating and our bodies. Right, so in this episode, we are going to be talking about intuitive eating with Laura Thomas, PhD, a registered nutritionist and all-round superstar, we think. Mm -hmm, Agreed. And we're going to go more or less straight in. But before we do get to Laura, I just want to read a bit of an opening piece that she wrote for Refinery29, just to kind of set the scene a bit, set the tone. In the past, diet messaging has been blatant and in-your-face. Blast fat. Sexually objectifying. Would you rather be covered in sweat at the gym or covered in your clothes at the beach? And straight up shaming. What you eat in private, you wear in public. However, with the rise of body positivity and the non-diet approach to health and nutrition, this January, diets are going underground, shape-shifting, mutating, morphing and re-emerging as wellness, lifestyles, detoxes and cleanses. They emanate from capitalist conference rooms dressed up in self-acceptance and body liberation. This doesn't mean anything new, of course. It's just a variation of a theme, the lie that women have been sold for eons, that their worth is tied up in their physical appearance, that in order to be smarter, cooler, more lovable, more worthy, we need to shrink our bodies and take up less space. I think that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, really nice to introduce this podcast, and we'll link to the full article in the show notes. So Laura and I spoke over Skype just before Christmas. We were supposed to <laughs> we were supposed to meet in person, but I managed to spectacularly bust my ankle a few days before, so I was literally in bed when we did the interview. Honestly, what are you like, <laughs> Nadia? I know, it was a disaster. Um, <laughs> uh, my ankle is definitely on the mend. I was going to so say, you're, you're glad to hear. Uh, you're better now, that's good, it's good. Uh, it's not quite right, I have, you know, but it's, uh, it's getting better. Good. But I um, listened back to the interview the other day, and I say, that's awesome, a lot. <laughs> Well, uh, Laura is moment. pretty awesome, actually, though. Yeah, so, ma- yeah, so maybe it's okay. Um, and she's also a good friend of the podcast, so I think we'll allow it. Yeah. Anyway, apart from me being weird and a few glitches with the sound when the internet dropped, we had a great chat about what intuitive eating is and how it might be an antidote to diet culture's toxic messaging around food, eating, our size and our worth. We also spoke a little bit about health at every size, which is something that we're going to come back to on this podcast in a bit more detail. So hold tight if you want more info on that. Um, But just to say, intuitive eating is really a fundamental component of a non-dieting and health at every size approach to Mm. eating. So it kind of ties in. Yeah, definitely. Laura Thomas is a registered nutritionist and has a private practice in London. Laura has a PhD in nutrition science from Texas A&M University. Laura hosts the hugely popular podcast, Don't Salt My Game, and her book, Just Eat It, is now available to buy. We'll pop a link to both of those in the bio. And if that is not enough, Laura is currently doing a master's in eating disorders and clinical nutrition at the University College London. All yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can see why you said she's awesome a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. So you can find Laura on Instagram and on Twitter at Laura Thomas PhD. And we'll put a link to that and to her website in our bio too. Lots of links in the bio. Yeah. So do check that out. Um, so yeah, let's listen to Laura. Well, hi, Laura. Thank you so much for joining us on Appearance Matters, the podcast. 
I'm absolutely thrilled. Been meaning to get you on the podcast for ages. So I'm really excited to be speaking with you now. Well, thank you for having me. You know, I'm a big fan of the podcast. So it's really nice and exciting to finally be on it. Awesome. So as you know, we're going to be talking about intuitive eating, which is like completely your jam. So I've got a bunch of questions I want to ask you about on that. I've got you down as a non-diet approach nutritionist. And I think it'd be really helpful if you explain for for me and for the listeners what that actually is. What does that mean? Sure. Yeah. So traditionally in nutrition and dietetics, our focus can be very weight centric. And as a result, we have a tendency to reduce people's physical and emotional well-being down to a body weight problem. And what the literature tells us is that dieting and weight loss attempts have an incredibly high failure rate, as well as some potentially harmful physical and psychological side effects. And although people usually do lose weight in the short term, it's not usually sustainable without engaging in what I would consider to be fairly extreme or disordered behaviors around food and exercise. And when we have such a myopic focus on weight, we tend to lose sight of other positive improvements that can be made to health, regardless of whether or not a person actually loses weight. So in a non-diet approach, we remove the focus off of weight loss and shift it towards a health gain approach. And instead of it being a really top-down didactic approach to health, we're inviting our clients and our patients to become partners or collaborators in their healthcare. And this is because that person knows a lot more about their body and their experience in their body than I do. So my job is to help them tune into the messages that their body is sending them. And I think that's a lot more empowering than handing someone a calorie controlled meal plan. Yes. Who then is coming to you for um, nutrition advice or like who are your clients? Because in my mind, when we're thinking about nutritionists and like dietitians and I know this is like a really backward thing but I immediately think people are like coming for weight loss type things yeah um and I think that is probably the assumption that a lot of people have and it's certainly the kind of um portrait or caricature of a nutritionist that you see as they're kind of like the food police and telling you off for eating a certain way um so the 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 typical client that I see is usually female, although just anecdotally, we have seen uh, a lot more men in clinic recently, which I think speaks to Mm -hmm. the sort of body image pressures that that men are um, experiencing currently. And typically a lot of women, they have often been chronic dieters just going round and round that dieting merry-go-round for 20, 30, 40 years sometimes uh, by the time that they they come to see me. And really, they've just reached their the end of their tether with with dieting and diet culture, and they may have come across the concepts of intuitive eating or my work more specifically kind of online on Instagram or my podcast. And so they've, they've maybe, uh, heard about the concept of intuitive eating and it's really resonated with them. This idea that we can actually let go of dieting and learn to tune into the signals that our body's sending us. So that's one type of client that we see a lot of. Another What we also see are people who have really engaged in disordered eating behaviors. So Mm -hmm. they would have uh, like a prodronal uh, eating disorder, so a subclinical eating disorder or something that isn't recognized as a clinical eating disorder like orthorexia, for instance. Uh, So we see a lot of that, a lot of people who've really... um, 
been bitten by the sort of clean eating or wellness bug and now they have a bit of a hangover from that and are really struggling to make peace with food and to just be able to eat in a way that that is intuitive to them and their bodies and kind of shirk off these dieting rules and restrictions that we've kind of had placed on us by diet culture. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, that's that's great. That's really helpful. Thank you. So let's get on to intuitive eating. Can you give me like um the headlines of intuitive eating? Like what is it? What does it mean? <laughs> okay, I will try and distill it down, but it yeah. is a really big and nuanced concept. Right. But essentially it is um about learning to tune into the the signals that your body is sending you for things like uh, hunger and fullness, but also satisfaction and pleasure and and what gives you a sense of stamina and energy and well-being in your body rather than external dieting rules. So that's kind of like the headline. Right. (laughs) But, um, you know, just to give a slightly more nuanced description of it, because I think it often gets mischaracterized as uh, sort of either the hunger and fullness diet on the one hand, or the kind of screw it, just eat whatever you want, whenever you want sort of approach on the other hand. (laughs) Um, So again, intuitive eating is a a specific intervention and that fits within the non-diet paradigm. So again, meaning that the goal is health gain, both in terms of physical and psychological well-being, not weight loss. Although sometimes weight loss is a side effect, but that's not the intention behind it. But the intervention was designed by two U.S. dietitians in the 90s, Evelyn Tribbley and Elise Resch. And they wrote a book called Intuitive Eating to help their clients get off that dieting merry-go-round that was causing them a lot of angst and like feelings of failure. Um, And really, they wanted to help their clients develop a healthier relationship with food and their bodies. So the intervention is made up of 10 component parts. Right. And that, like I kind of touched on, they essentially involve breaking down external food rules and restrictions that often get us stuck in a loop in our heads about good and bad foods and healthy versus unhealthy foods that can lead to restrained eating, which as I'm sure you're familiar with, can then lead to disinhibited eating and binge eating, which of course doesn't make people feel great and it's not not particularly satisfying eating experience. So we break down food rules. Um, we learn to practice what I call food neutrality, where we learn to see food as just food. It's all on a level playing field and we bring it down off of the off of a pedestal and remove that forbidden fruit effect. Right. And then once we've stripped away all those external rules and restrictions, we can then learn how to tune in to our own internal cues for hunger, satiety, pleasure, satisfaction, uh, energy and stamina and those things that I mentioned earlier. But I just want to highlight that it is a, a process um, mm-hmm. and, it, and it does take a bit of work to get back to that place of intuitive eating. Uh, and the theory being, of course, that we are all born with this innate ability, but it gets eroded over time through diet rules and, um, you know, well-meaning, but, but perhaps unhelpful uh, messages about clearing our plates or not being able to have dessert until we finish our vegetables and things like that. Okay, cool. And you mentioned one of the myths, and I think that's um, in terms of sometimes when you see or like read about intuitive eating, I think there's, and even just hearing you talk, I can imagine that there will be people 
viewing intuitive eating as as being a kind of eat whatever you like Mm -hmm. and having a lot of fear around that or Mm -hmm. or kind of thinking well like oh you know that's all very well and good but you know I know that that's not going to work for me because like if I ate whatever I like it's going to be like a disaster like I would never eat a vegetable like or you know like that kind of thing and that Mm -hmm. can't be that can't be healthy like that can't be a, a, a good thing so like what um what what are your thoughts on that or what kind of I mean do you get that quite a lot when- oh my goodness yeah all the time everyone thinks that if you if you stop paying attention to external dieting rules and start tuning into your body that it's just going to be a free-for-all and you're just going to eat donuts all day and so a couple of things to maybe highlight on that because it's a completely a valid concern but I would first of all just remind people that um you know, we did all, we were all sort of born with this ability and we're quite willing to accept that children have this innate ability. And so to just remind yourself or just kind of hold in your mind that diet culture has kind of taught us or conditioned us not to trust our bodies. So it's just reminding yourself that actually you do have that innate ability. It's just maybe going to take a little while to remove the layers of of diet culture and disordered eating to get back to that point. So that's the, the first thing that I would say. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I would offer that this the research that we have so far on intuitive eating seems to indicate that actually people who are more intuitive eaters have higher diet qualities and more dietary variety. So just to sort of drop the the research in there a little bit. But lastly, and I think this is where I was speaking to this idea of we're the, the experts of our own bodies. So just a little thought experiment that I would encourage listeners to, to, um, join me in doing here for a second. So if it's, if it's safe and you're not about to walk out in front of a car, then I'd invite you to just close your eyes, take a breath for a second, and then imagine a day where you woke up first thing and you were really craving a donut. And so you went out and you bought like a, um, a, a box of six donuts. And so for your breakfast, you had a donut. And then for your mid-morning snack, you had another donut. And then again for lunch. And then again for your afternoon snack. Do you think that by the end of the day, you would want to eat another donut? No, I actually like just did that experiment just then my eyes were shut. And um, no. <laughs> and how do, how do you imagine that you would have felt by the end of that day, Nadia? I mean, kind of sick of donuts. Probably, I would. You'd. I think you kind of then want some. You want like a. Like I would want a dinner. Yeah, you would want like a proper meal. Yeah. yeah. And so that is um, kind of what that's the seed that I want to plant in the minds of listeners is that actually, if we are paying attention to what our body is trying to tell us, that we want we ultimately our bodies want to feel good right that's our sort of default um mode is is to seek out pleasure right and ultimately if we're eating donuts or brownies or ice cream or even just pizza all day we're going to start to feel kind of gross in our bodies and we'll want to have something that is a bit more balanced a bit more nourishing um that has some maybe something green and some protein in it and ultimately we will gravitate towards a healthy balance of food just by tuning into the messages that our bodies are sending us yeah yeah but within like the framework of intuitive eating there's nothing wrong with like pizza or ice cream or donuts it's it's almost just like the the balance between all of those things within a a wider yes exactly exactly so 
a couple of things on on that. So first of all, all those foods that we just talked about, there's absolutely nothing wrong with them. And in fact, if we're thinking about how food makes us feel, we also have to think about the opposite end of that spectrum, which is the sort of restrictive end of the spectrum, whereby if you don't have any of those foods ever, then that also doesn't feel great in our bodies. We'll, we end up feeling deprived and that might mean that it's heightened that forbidden fruit effect around food so that when we do come into contact with that food, we just completely lose it. And, and instead of having one donut, we end up eating the entire box of donuts or cookies or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the second uh, really important thing to mention is that the 10th the principle of intuitive eating is something called gentle nutrition. So basically, we're not, nobody's, you know, disputing the fact that food is part of what makes us well um, and an important part of what makes us well. But we're saying that it doesn't have to be a really rigid, all or nothing, black or white approach to nutrition. And so on, through the lens of gentle nutrition, you know, we would look at a bowl of ice cream and say, you know what, if you eat too much ice cream, you're probably not going to feel great. But actually a bowl of ice cream, if you just have an amount that, that leaves you feeling satisfied, actually it has some calcium and some iodine and some protein and some fats in it. And they help us absorb uh, fat-soluble vitamins like vitamin E and vitamin A. And actually, there's absolutely nothing wrong with a bowl of ice cream from a, from a nutrition perspective. And it, it can co contribute not just to sort of um, the physical nourishment of our bodies, but it also nourishes our souls on, mm -hmm. on another level. So we have to kind of... Um, that That's what we're talking about when it comes to gentle nutrition. If you have a bowl of ice cream, that does not cancel out all the fiber and vitamins and minerals and other positive nutrients that we're getting from the other food that we're eating throughout the day. Yeah, that's a really nice explanation. So when you're working with clients on intuitive eating, I'm curious what there's 10 principles of intuitive eating, mm -hmm, is that right? Mm -hmm. yeah. That's right. So that's right. I, I wonder if there's any of those principles or elements that you see your clients struggling with the most or finding the most challenging? Like, are there any trends? Yeah, absolutely. And it's probably something that you'd be able to speak to a lot more than I can, which is the idea of um, developing positive body image. And so number principle number eight of intuitive eating is respect your body. And that kind of incorporates ideas of, well, I, my interpretation of it, at least is this idea of, of body neutrality or body respect, um, rather than sort of body positivity that we often see portrayed online, which for a lot of my clients can feel um, quite far out of reach, especially if they've, um, maybe they've had children, maybe they're older. Uh, maybe I've worked with women who've had mastectomies and injuries and surgeries. And so this idea of sort of like shiny body, body positivity is a bit too far out of reach. So we work towards this idea of body neutrality. Um, but it's still, even though we've kind of taken it down a level, it, it can still feel very, very difficult and very challenging uh, because of, from at least from my perspective, um, there's a lot of, of internalized fat phobia and, mm -hmm. and that makes it very difficult to work past this, the idea that they might put on weight at some point. Um, and then that can sort of feed into um, them being able to listen to their own internal body cues. 
So yes, to sort of summarize that, body image is a huge challenge within the context of of intuitive eating. Yeah, I mean, I think that everything you said there makes sense. And I think there's like the, the internalized fat phobia thing is that, you know, we live in a fat phobic society so that it makes sense that people can feel like that because all of the messages that are around you are in line with that kind of ideology so I think that's I can understand why that would be so difficult to kind of push against you're almost like pushing against tide in that way and then it's interesting what you say about the kind of like the shiny online body positivity because it's like how and I know you and I have spoken about this before in terms of uh, different interpretations of what positive body image is and it's interesting from like a research perspective how positive body image is defined is, is that it's there's a distinction between positive body image and like body satisfaction or body confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, thinking that you look great, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing, you know, if you feel that, that that's like, like brilliant, but it's not a uh, positive body image from that research perspective, how it's kind of conceptualized is about body respect. It's about body appreciation, mm-hmm. the self-love, self-care, the acceptance of your body, regardless of how it fits with any ideal. So it's, it's closer in line to body neutrality in in the way that it's kind of described online in my mind body satisfaction is that kind of shiny body positivity we see online it's interesting and it's kind of interesting as researchers to like you know how that language plays out so it's kind of a yeah an interesting thing to to think about in, in terms of when we're like communicating that message also that's like what, what we mean and and that's i think there's so many different interesting points in in what you just said but you know it it really does highlight sometimes the the difficulty of translating research into practice and and how these concepts are understood by the lay population um and and one thing that i ask my clients is what positive body image or body satisfaction means to them and what that looks like for them and get them to define that for themselves um and and oftentimes it's it's actually not thinking about their bodies all that much and sort of being in their body and using their body, but not um, self-objectifying and and sort of thinking, oh God, I look super hot all the time or, um, you know, I look flawless and beautylicious, but actually just being able to to take care of their bodies and respect their bodies and move on with the rest of their day. And I think that sort of aligns with the concepts that you were you were talking about within the sort of research context yeah yeah like I think what we're saying within the research is not aligned to what is being said online Online. so then (laughs) I wonder from the research perspective how we fit what's going on in the broader domain well this is why I think it's so important that people like you and Philippa have started Instagram accounts and you're you're kind of saying actually look this is the science says that you don't have to be like bootylicious or feel like you're you know you don't have to pose pictures of your belly rolls online in order to feel good and grounded in your body and I think that that is such a key message to get across because the I, I, my perception is that oftentimes the body positivity community can, or the body positive movement, A, it's being co-opted by diet culture and B, it feels like another set of standards and expectations for women to live up to. And so, and, and I know that the, the, the true 
original intention behind the body positive movement was not what it's been warped and distorted into as we see it sort of today. And that actually the, the, like I've heard an interview with one of the women who founded uh, the body positive, which is like one of the original groups that, that was doing this kind of work. And she said that the, the concept of body positivity as she defined it incorporated body neutrality like it had that flexibility to be like i'm having a shit body image day and and that's okay but it's how do i then bring myself out of that funk and how do i treat myself and look after myself do i go down the route of restrictive dieting and punishing exercise or do i go down the route of self-care and self-compassion yeah yeah completely and i think that's that's it because from the academic perspective positive body image is distinct from so the body appreciation construct is distinct from the satisfaction dissatisfaction construct so you can have the two at the same time so you can be like "Mm, I'm a bit dissatisfied with how x part of my body looks Mm -hmm. but I have self-care and self-respect and appreciation for what my body can do and what my how my body serves me that actually that overshadows the like oh I'm a bit unhappy with like the shape of my thighs or what or whatever and I think the kind of positive body image concepts from the research perspective then can help you navigate some of those negative thoughts that you have about your body (laughs) you're like oh wait but hang on a minute that's not what my body's all about it's not it's not about that and then kind of going back to the the, like loving your body roles and stuff and I think I I get it and I get it's like it's good to to see it and and see that message but then it's kind of when it it then comes into like then who who are showing those images who are showing those pictures who's leading the conversation that's where it all becomes very and it keeps the body it it keeps the conversation stuck on the physical appearance of the body I think yeah Yeah. that's a whole other (laughs) anyway we have kind of you've we've covered what intuitive eating is and we've spoken about some of the challenges I want to now kind of kind of dig into some of the 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 benefits and I know you said about intuitive eating being a process and and so I wonder first of all what um you've noticed with your clients and kind of going through that process with them what you've maybe noticed as like a a, a benefit either what they're telling you or, or what you've seen yeah uh so I think the biggest thing that my clients sort of and this is anecdotal and, and we could talk about what the research says as well in just a second, but certainly anecdotally clients just sort of talk about this fact, the fact that they have so much more headspace and that their mental health is in a much better place when um, they're not sort of preoccupied with food and, and their bodies and they have a lot more capacity to be doing other more fulfilling things in their life rather than this sort of myopic focus on food and and body image. So I I think that they gain a lot more um, balance in their lives, which I think is, is really lovely and a sort of really empowering um, perspective, uh, you know, given that, that diet culture kind of tries to keep us (laughs) focused on these things, which I think is a very deliberate distraction from other problems in the world. So, um, yeah, I think from my, my client's perspective, it's really that sort of mental freedom and, um, capacity for other things in their life. But in terms of the, the, um, the research from a research perspective, again, I should just caveat this by saying that 
quite a lot of the research that we have at this point is observational. Um, although there are quite a lot of, uh, there are a lot more randomized control trials going on currently. And I'm going to be doing that research or doing some research around intuitive feeding as part of uh, my master's program as well. And, and there are lots of other people doing things predominantly in the US, but also in the UK. Uh, but what we do sort of what we think is going on currently is from a, a physical health perspective that people who are more intuitive eaters have better blood glucose control. So that means that they have a lower risk of, of developing type two diabetes. Mm -hmm. They also have uh, increased HDL cholesterol and lower LDL cholesterol, which is considered to be the sort of a marker of bad, um, the, the bad cholesterol, which increases our risk of cardiovascular disease. But we, but, uh, intuitive eaters also have lower blood pressure. So taking all of those things together, there's a, a lower risk of cardiovascular disease. So that's quite interesting from a physical health perspective. But I think where we see the most benefits from intuitive eating are around psychological health and mental health. So, um, much better psychological flexibility. So I kind of mentioned that a lot of the clients when I start working with them have that um, more psychological rigidity. So black and white, all or nothing type thinking. So I think um, this being able to develop flexibility is quite a, a challenging skill from my understanding, at least. So using... Um, the using the the skills that you learn from the intuitive eating process, which actually, again, anecdotally, but um, my clients will will tell me that they sort of bleed out into other areas of their life as well. So we're looking at these problems through the sort of microcosm of food, but they they do tend to have an impact on other areas of life. Um, more body appreciation and satisfaction, which we've talked about. Uh, better proactive coping, uh, positive emotional functioning, higher life satisfaction, higher unconditional self-regard and optimism. Um, this is also interesting. Greater motivation to exercise for enjoyment rather than guilt or appearance. Um, higher dietary variety, which I've already mentioned. And then lower, lower symptoms of binge eating and disordered eating. Uh, less dieting and less thin ideal internalization. So that those are the things that we kind of are are pretty confident about at this point. Mm -hmm. But we do, as with anything, we always need more research. Yeah, sure. And I, just a follow up from what you said, because you said most of the research is based on observational data. Is that like food diaries? What What do you mean by observational data? Yeah. So what, what we mean is that, um, we've, we've got sort of cross-sectional data where we've looked, we've calculated people's intuitive eating score using Tracy Tilka's methodology right. that she developed, which is that the intuitive eating scale, which is in its second iterated iteration now. So basically we can calculate people's intuitive eating scores, and then we can correlate that with markers of something like psychological flexibility or dietary variety or blood pressure or any of these other sort of metrics and say, okay, people who are higher on the intuitive eating scale are lower um, in um, psychological rigidity, let's say, just as a, an ex example. So we can say that there's a correlation there, but we don't know for sure that there's a cause and effect relationship. 
Uh, yeah. Because it could go, it could yeah. go either way around. Yeah, as, as but, we all know with 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 correlation. <laughs> yeah, um, but there are there are quite a few there are quite a few randomized control trials as well and interventions that do seem to to corroborate what we see from the observational uh, literature as well. But we do need, as always, <laughs> more RCTs would be great. Please and thank you to any <laughs> researchers who are listening. Yeah, that's awesome. And just one other thing about the. F- the physical health benefits that you mentioned because I think just kind of imagining just thinking of what the public health rhetoric we have around Mm. all of this and and about diet and about how people should eat or not eat do you know or I wonder if it's included within the research like are you getting those physical benefits across like the weight spectrum so that's that's a good question and I would have to kind of take a closer look at the literature. But my understanding, at least, is that most of the interventional studies that have been done are typically using um, weight management groups as a control group. So that's the sort of standard in care, standard of care. And, and the intuitive eating has been sort of proposed as an alternative to the, the traditional weight management um, approach that we see, for instance, in the NHS. And so, um, and in fact, there is some research using a non-diet approach taking part in the in NHS Highlands at the moment using Lucy Affermore's Well Now model, which is a slightly different, uh, slightly different to intuitive eating, but very similar. Uh, and, and I think that's in a, a higher weight population as an alternative to the weight management approach. And, um, they've definitely seen some physical health improvements, but don't ask me what off the top of my head. Um, and, um, so my understanding is just to kind of succinctly answer your question is that that these physical health benefits are seen in higher weight populations. Um, and then a lot of the observational stuff we've, we've seen are from a lot of college age students, as with a lot of psychology research, it's, um, women, uh, predominantly women college age who are actually a high risk population for disordered eating anyway. And we've definitely seen improvements in disordered eating, um, behaviors with higher IES2 scores. That's awesome. So I I have just one more question about intuitive eating and then I've got a couple of other things that I want to ask you before we finish. Okay. So we've kind of you've kind of covered all the different bits of intuitive eating, but then is intuitive eating for everyone? Is it something that you kind of like blanket recommend? Yeah, so it's an interesting question and ultimately we haven't done the research in all of the different populations in order to kind of ascertain the answer to that question. So what I would say is that as well as being a specific intervention of intuitive eating, the non-diet approach or um, health at every size approach is a kind of a lens in which to view nutrition problems through. So it's not there is the specific intervention, but there's also sort of a general approach to nutrition. And I think that what what we've seen, and I know a lot of my colleagues are working to manage different conditions using a non-diet or an intuitive eating lens. And we know that we can help improve outcomes around things like diabetes, uh, so type 2 diabetes, polycystic ovary syndrome in women, um, IBS is another example. So we're, we're kind of working with different populations and applying a, an intuitive eating lens to these nutrition problems. Um, and so 
my sort of my perspective on this at least is that we can adapt an intuitive eating intervention to fit with different diseases or different conditions. Um, the place where we need to be very, very careful, I think though, is with something like eating disorder recovery. So we do have a, a pilot study, a two-year pilot study that indicates that um, components of intuitive eating do help improve recovery out outcomes as a sort of adjunct therapy. However, um, obviously we can't tell people that are suffering from a, a restrictive eating disorder to go off and listen to their hunger and satiety cues. That's probably right. not going to end well. And they do need to be on a structured meal plan until they are at that stage in recovery where they, where we can kind of take off that. Um, if you imagine the meal plan in recovery as sort of like sta stabilizers on a bike, eventually we will be able to remove those, but you need them in order to get to the point where you're regularly experiencing hunger and satiety cues. So in the very early stages of eating disorder recovery, not all of the principles will be applicable, but that doesn't mean to say that you can't start teaching about rejecting diet culture and um, learning to honor your emotional hunger and, and various other sort of aspects of the intuitive eating process. You can, and kind of learning to challenge the food police and things like that. Those are all great tools to have in your toolkit, uh, in your recovery toolkit. So that, that research still needs to be done. But I think, you know, just if we're taking it, if we're talking, taking it way back, stripping it way back and just thinking on a, on a public health level, I think personally, at least, and this is something that I'm going to be looking at in, in my research is how can we translate these messages of intuitive eating into public health messages? And I think that at least my, my opinion is that some of the messages of intuitive eating are far more um, empowering and, and far better messages than a lot of the current messages that we have. So things like um, mindful eating instead of labeling menus with, with calorie counts, which we know could be really damaging for people with eating disorders or disordered eating. Um, encouraging people to tune into feelings of hunger and fullness and to eat a, a variety and a balance of foods instead of sort of being the food police. So I, I think there are definitely, there is definitely a role for intuitive eating in the wider um, sort of clinical application as well as public health application. But again, we need to do lots more research to figure out exactly what that looks like. Yes. And I'm so glad you're doing that. I didn't know that that was your project. Your <laughs> That's really exciting. I'm really glad that you're doing that work. I think it's really important. Be, I mean, how refreshing would it be that our public health messaging around food was not this food is bad, don't eat this. Da, 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 da. Yeah, um, I think the problem with a lot of our public health messages around nutrition is that they're they're rooted in fear and and sort of making people afraid of food rather than um you know we see in other countries like Japan and Brazil a lot of their public health a lot of their public health messaging is around um conviviality and enjoyment and pleasure of food and enjoyment and pleasure of exercise rather than like oh my god sugar ah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So that's really excellent. We can't end before uh, mentioning the book. Um, so first of all, congratulations. Really big deal to to have your first book out. Um, and it'll be out, I think, by the time we release this episode. So that's really, really exciting. And we'll definitely put a link and and all the all the info in our show notes. 
Thank you. And I should add as well yeah. that I wouldn't have been able to do it without the help and support of some of the, um, well, the help and support and research of a lot of the people at CAR. So shout out especially to Amy Slater, who features in my book and um, was really, really helpful in my section where I was talking about body image. So oh, shout awesome. out to CAR and all your important research. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Um, so everyone should go out and buy the book, first of all. But then what for you, what What's your, like, what's your hope with it all? Well, I think that um, disordered eating has just become so normalized in in the UK and, and all over the world. But what we know is that something like 60% of women every year are are trying to lose weight. Um, and that, you know, there, there are studies from the US that show that as many as half to three quarters of, of women engage in disordered eating behaviors. And, and I think that kind of like I alluded to before, it's just, it's such a distraction and, um, it's quite an intentional, deliberate move to keep women sort of focused on their bodies, focused on food instead of living really full, fulfilling lives. Um, and so what I'm hoping is that this just helps women take, take back their power, um, you know, learn to trust their bodies and to just completely unsubscribe from diet culture and do the things that they want to do with their life without having body and food anxieties. Yeah. It's a pretty big goal. Yeah. <laughs> but even if we can just chip away at that a little bit, that would be great. That's what I was going to say. It's like, it's not, it's like diet culture is so huge and it's like, it, but it, it needs multiple, like you need to like attack this from like multiple mm-hmm um multiple ways multiple layers and like you have to, and, and to, to do it for yourself I think you have to you have to keep reminding yourself in different ways different means so like from the kind of like activism piece to reading to kind of educating yourself about like mm-hmm. what it mm-hmm. what it means and then kind of kind of to like really unlearn it so I think that's awesome so this has been such a wonderful conversation but on to our very last question and I know you're a, a keen listener of, of the podcast so you know what's coming up but at the center we have our weekly team coffee and cake morning and we all take it in turns to bring in cake I think I'm definitely overdue bringing in cake Uh, (laughs) thinking about it now um but uh, if you can come along and visit us in Bristol what cake would you bring and why okay so I have given a lot of thought to this question I always answer it in my head every time (laughs) I'm listening to the podcast and so okay so just some context my husband does not like fruity flavors or anything with fruit in it and I really love lemon cake so Mm -hmm. I would want to bring a set of cupcakes that were that sort of like gooey lemony um like really moist cake with like thick lemony frosting on top that would be my dream cake and I can never have it because of my husband (laughs) so I would bring it along to car (laughs) yeah so that sounds delicious but I mean this is going to sound dumb but like to me lemon doesn't count as it I mean I know it is a fruit like I know that I know lemon is a fruit but like so my sister has a big aversion to fruit in cakes but it's like dried fruit or you know yeah I don't I don't find like I'm I'm intrigued that lemon is an offensive no he is very offended by even particularly citrus fruits um but uh yeah like any kind of fruit he will sometimes eat strawberry jam, but apart from that, it's all off limits, which makes my life very difficult. <laughs> imagine, I can imagine. Well, it's very welcome in car. We'd love to have you. So if you're ever down in Bristol, let us know. 
I will definitely hold you to that. Okay, well, thanks so much, Laura. It was so good talking to you. Thanks for having me on, Nadia. That was awesome. (laughs) Are you trolling me, Jane? Obviously. (laughs) No, I actually wasn't. Um, Genuinely thought that was awesome. And also love the shout out for Amy, by the way. Um, For those of you that don't know, Amy Slater is our deputy director here at CAR. And she specializes in social media and body image. And she's my director of studies for my PhD. She is awesome too. Yeah, agreed. Amy is wonderful. See, new adjective. See, there we go. Um, Anyway, a few follow-up points from the interview with Laura quickly. I think it's probably worth listing the 10 principles of intuitive eating. I know Laura mentioned a couple of them, but I think it'd be nice to have the full list. Mm, Yeah, right. And then if you're interested in digging deeper into intuitive eating, there are a bunch of resources like Laura's book, which is out now and in our show notes. Yeah, I've just got it. I can't wait to read it. You can also check out intuitiveeating.org and I've just discovered one of the co-authors of the original intuitive eating book, Evelyn Tribole, I hope I'm saying her name right, that Laura mentioned. It's now on Instagram, at Evelyn Tribole. Again, hope I'm saying that right. And she is currently explaining each of the 10 principles in turn in a series of posts, so that's quite quite useful. Yeah, quite useful, useful resource. Check it out, and I might have a look at that too, actually. But for now, here are the 10 principles. Um, we'll explain some of them that aren't kind of self-explanatory, but some of them are, so we'll just list those. So number one, reject the diet mentality. I think that speaks for itself, really. Yeah, two is honour your hunger. Yep. Three, make peace with food. So give yourself unconditional permission to eat. If you're hungry, eat. Four is challenge the food police. So something that they've written is scream a loud no to the thoughts in your head that declare you're good for eating minimal calories or bad because you ate a piece of chocolate cake. Mm. Number five, respect your fullness. Listen for the body signals that tell you that you are no longer hungry. Observe the signs that show that you're comfortably full. Pause in the middle of a meal or food and ask yourself, how is the food tasting and what is your current fullness level? Okay, so number six is discover the satisfaction factor. So I'll explain this one quickly. So this is if you kind of eat what you really want in the first place, you, you've hit the spot then and you're not wanting more. And I think sometimes that's what happens if you, you try and avoid what you're really wanting. You kind of end up eating all of these different things to try and hit the spot and then you end up le- never satisfied. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And number seven, honour your feelings without using food as well. Then number eight is respect your body. So this is the one that Laura mentioned that kind of relates to body image and what people like trip over and find really difficult to kind of get to a point of intuitive eating. Mm. And number nine, exercise. But this isn't about exercising for like appearance-based motivations. This is more exercising for about body functionality and respecting how your body functions, like how I'm kicking a football and how my body works for me and really appreciating that. And how your body feels by exercising, so like the adrenaline and the endorphins and the kind of, you kind of feel energised, so kind of focusing on that rather than the appearance thing, as you said. And then the final one is honour your health. Yeah, I think that's quite an important one as well. Yeah, and you can, as we said earlier, there's loads of different resources that you can find if you want to um, delve in deeper to intuitive eating. Check out more, yeah. Um, so on that note it's time to wrap up this episode if your resolution this year is to contribute to appearance psychology research we can help you (laughs) Um, you just need to sign up to our centre's participant pool we will put a link in the show notes along with all the other things we mentioned in this episode all the T's and C's are on the website but all participation is voluntary we really would like to stress that you pick what you do and what you would like to be involved in 
yeah, we would really love more people to be involved in our research. So um, definitely check it out just to see if it is something you're interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's it for our first episode of 2019. And join us next time when we'll be talking about online dating and body image. Just in time for Valentine's Day. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>